the project is the hospital that's designed to save people's lives. By achieving that four months early, we were going to save more lives. People go to work every day to do good things and, and important things. But saving people's lives is normally down to other people. We normally expect that as being somebody else's responsibility. But actually, we've been really fortunate as a project team that we've been able to save lives through managing a project well, organising things well, through the design approach and everything else. As we approached the winter opening in November, the pandemic took off again and, and, and the second wave was with us. And it instantly was saving lives from the moment it opened. And you can't ask for a, anything better than that. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And I'm Alex Conacher. And in this episode, we've partnered with WSP to tell an incredible story about how the design and construction of the Grange University Hospital was affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. As society shut down and hospitals reached breaking points, engineers on this project brought their ingenuity to the fore to make sure that this 450-bed critical care facility in Cumbrans, South Wales, was completed ahead of time. Their actions didn't just save lives. They saved a lot of money because without it, the Welsh Government may have had to invest millions in a temporary Nightingale hospital. Completing the Grange ahead of time would not have been possible if contractor Lango Rourke and its design team had not taken a very modern manufacturing approach to the construction process. Instead of building everything on site using two-dimensional paper construction drawings, the project was a very 21st century endeavour. 3D design models were used to inform factory manufacturing of components and off-site production delivered to site just at the right time to assemble and build the hospital. As a result, there was cost and time certainty and enough flexibility to accelerate progress when Wales and the entire world was hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. Everyone who's worked on the project is proud of it, even if they were involved very early on and, and left the project to do something else. This is David Leverton. I was project technical leader for Langer Rock on the Grange University Hospital scheme in Cumbran, South Wales. It is a project that was first conceived back in 2008 as part of the Aniran Bevan University Health Board's Clinical Futures Programme. We were involved Right from the start of the project, Lango Rock were appointed by the Health Board as part of the Welsh Health Estates Designed for Life framework. Lango Rock brought a design team with them WSP for all of the civil and structural work, BDP as architects, and ACOM for the mechanical and electrical work. And we developed the scheme with the clinicians from scratch to work up the optimum layout. 
this early involvement of the contractor was really important as it meant that the team understood exactly what clinical teams needed. It included ensuring a compact design that enabled the medical staff to spend as much time as possible with patients, so minimising the length of corridors and splitting the ward areas into clusters of eight beds so that each would have a nurse station and access the common facilities which would be very nearby. We developed it with a full understanding of the clinical drivers and that's important because when you're just a builder responding to somebody else's design, you can't really contribute very much. Whereas our understanding of our manufacturing and construction capabilities meant that we were able to bring that into the equation as well and work out how those meshed neatly uh, and, and seamlessly with the clinical drivers. It doesn't always happen that way, although it should. Whereas very often a design is developed without any understanding of how it's going to be constructed and what benefits there can be. Which can lead to changes as the project progresses, meaning that costs rise. It means very often that when the contractor does eventually get on board, that they start to try and modify the design to suit the, the solutions and their approach for construction. Because very often designers don't fully recognise perhaps the logistical constraints of uh, their designs that they're building into the, the design. And um, that was something that we were able to fully integrate with the design team. So there was great understanding of those constraints and, and also the opportunities that that developed. Here the designers, contractor and the health board worked together from the outset and it was made even easier with the use of digital technology to enable everyone to visualise what they were getting. What they were getting was a 450-bed specialist and critical care facility on the site of a former mental health hospital. Grange House itself is a listed building and the new hospital has been built in its grounds. It has five storeys and four main zones, inpatient accommodation, a diagnostic and treatment block, an entrance area with catering, administration and educational facilities, and finally, the energy centre. The design of the hospital has a spine of the hospital street running north-south, and either side of that hospital street are arranged the, the chemical facilities. To the left of the hospital street are the wards and they're arranged in star shapes so there are three star shaped wings five stories high with with all the ward accommodation to the right of the hospital street at the the main main uh, block of the building is the uh, diagnostic and treatment block on the lower level it's got the back of house facilities pathology facilities management and mortuary and pharmacy. On the upper levels is then the theatres and main treatment areas and the emergency department. Each floor has a designated specialism. Cardiac and coronary care is immediately opposite the theatres along with the intensive care wards. The children's hospital is arranged again, very close to emergency, the emergency department, so that if there are any emergencies, children can be taken there very swiftly. 
The Welsh Government and the Local Health Board needed as much certainty in the delivery as they had with the final design. It was taking up a huge proportion of the country's capital investment. Having a clear understanding month by month and especially year by year of the exact capital that was going to be required in order to deliver the hospital was crucial to them. And what we did was we worked through the programme very carefully and worked out when, for example, all the major equipment was going to be delivered for the services. And by planning all of that and working out the costs of each of those, we were able to monitor and, and manage that cash flow so that we could give an accurate prediction and also then monitor it and, and deliver against it throughout the course of the project. This developed into a clear deadline to complete their work and to give the health board time to complete their operational commissioning in order to open the hospital in March 2021. But the criticality of, that, of achieving that date also led us along the lines of using modern methods of construction. We like to call it design for manufacture and assembly. The first part of that is getting the design right. We need to design it in order that we can build it in a smart way. Hi, I'm Stuart Renshaw. I'm Technical Director with WSP in the Cardiff office. WSP, the civil and structural designer for the project. I've worked on the Grange Hospital since 2008. Stuart and his team helped design the hospital from its very inception where sites were appraised and approaches were discussed through to the final design which was used to inform the manufacturing and construction processes. The structure mainly consisted of a range of pre-cast concrete columns, beams and floor slabs with some in-situ concrete required for connecting the units. The design for manufacture and assembly process also known as DFMA, meant that a lot of time was spent considering how the hospital would actually be built. And Stuart and his team could help reduce the time that it would take. A good example of this was the design of the columns. So we were looking to minimise hook times so the time elements on the crane. Which means designing in a very different way. In usual circumstances, designers are asked to meet performance criteria in the most cost-effective way, for example by reducing steel reinforcement or the overall column sizes. Here, the driver was different. So we changed the design philosophy from a typical column where you design the efficiency for minimised rebar to have, we called it a four, a four shoe connection. So there's a column shoe in each corner of the column and then that, that takes the main axial load and bending. There is other rebar in the column but those four bars are doing the main work. But that allowed uh, for repeatability in the factory so we went on minimising column types. Both designer and contractor know that there's many ways to place columns on site and there's often some personal choice that comes with experience. But here, the driver was all about being efficient. By designing and specifying the fastest method, this four-shoe approach, where the columns are bolted into the ground immediately, it removed the need for temporary support and more crane time. The whole process was accelerated. So there's repeatability in the factory and speed, but also it allowed in some areas to double height the columns. 
we worked out that we could be more efficient if we actually made some of the columns two stories high. That meant that in the factory it was a single unit instead of two. When they were picking them up by crane, they were only picking up a single unit instead of two. And on site, it was the same. So with each of those components, although they were slightly larger and slightly more complicated in terms of the design, each of them halved the amount of manual handling that was required. A similar approach was used for the load-bearing structural facade panels, which were also manufactured off-site. A lot of time and effort went into the facades. So on the ward blocks, there's sandwich panels, which are a, it's a load-bearing inner leaf of reinforced concrete. And then there's an installation layer, and then there's a decorative concrete layer on the outside, which is texture and colour. The design of these required a lot of coordination between the architect, BDP, and the structural designer, WSP. The use of 3D models really helped both parties to understand the details, and then the impact of refining the design for construction. This was a process that proved to be worthwhile over and over again, with many different elements of the project being tested and checked in the models before moving into fabrication and construction. It was also a lot faster than the traditional approach of creating everything using 2D drawings. We're overlaying our models and the model from the factory. So they would ghost in and out. So you could look at our model and then bring ghost hours out and bring their model in more. So you could, you could superimpose one, change the transparency on them so you could see the two together. This meant that the knock-on effect of changes could be explored well ahead of time, which was important for the structural panels. We found that by modifying the, the panel slightly to increase the size of the windows, we were able to reduce the weight of the, the panels, which meant we could put two large panels onto a standard trailer and, and deliver them. And that meant that we actually increased the natural light within the bedrooms over and above the initial design that, that uh, BDP as the architects came up with, which was a benefit for everybody. There were other innovations too, such as designing them with a similar kind of bolted connection as the columns, which led to less temporary support on site being needed, further accelerating the project. And then there were the advantages that come more generally with prefabrication. Whilst they were still at the factory, before release to site, we installed the windows and QA checked them before they were dispatched to site. So every one of the windows on the ward accommodation, wherever it was placed within the building, in the five-storey building, was installed at ground floor level, which obviously is a lot easier for the window fabricator and installer. Easier and safer. Another benefit was being able to create 243 bathroom pods on site and drop them into the superstructure, which again saved months on traditional construction methods. These were a bespoke design to ensure robustness in the critical healthcare environment. One of the biggest advantages of DFMA is the way that the mechanical and electrical services are constructed. Instead of being fitted to the superstructure and constructed on site at height, they're created as integrated units of services that are then transported to site, lifted in and connected. We would build a module 
six meters long, containing all the pipe work, duct work, cable trays, which then lifted, uh, delivered to site, lifted up, fixed to the soffit of the slab, and then joined together. And similarly with the mechanical risers, mechanical electrical risers, we have 22 risers and we split those, the five stories into uh, three risers per five story riser. So we had about 60 or 70 mechanical risers prefabricated already with access platforms in them so that it minimized greatly the amount of working at height that's carried out and also working in a confined space. So in a riser, it can be quite difficult where, when it's busy with lots of pipework and everything else. Given the meticulous nature of the work and the predictability of the factory approach, it's not surprising that by 2019, the team was making good progress and was actually ahead of the construction schedule. And then COVID-19 hit. Obviously, there was a bit of a hiatus as the COVID-19 virus was spreading and everybody was wondering what was going to happen next. And the health board came to us and said, we've got a problem. We could run out of bed space in a couple of weeks. What can you do? Can you do anything? This was March 2020, when COVID-19 rates were so high that the government sent the country into a full nationwide lockdown in a bid to prevent health services from being completely overwhelmed. So a little while ago, when this scale of the coronavirus pandemic became clear to us, we as a health board started to think through how we could make sure we had sufficient bed capacity to cope with the increasing cases that we were predicting to see. This is Judith Paget, and she is the chair of the Aniron Bevan University Health Board. We approached Lang O'Rourke, the supply chain partner for the hospital we were already building here at the Grange in Cumbran, to see whether there was any possibility that they could make some of the beds available to us much earlier than planned. I think structurally we're in a very good place. I think we're already about eight weeks ahead of there program through the use of the DFMA and close working relationships and some of the, the, the things that are put in place to enable the construction to proceed quickly. To help with COVID patients, it was the wards that they needed to open as quickly as possible. And this required a lot of work at a time when many construction sites were shutting down. We actually almost doubled the numbers on site to about 650. And that required careful management, including COVID safety procedures to keep the newly expanded workforce safe. So we split shifts. We introduced different routes, different staircases for going up from going down and managed it very carefully and helped the health board with their fit out as well. So we got the whole of the wards, 384 beds available to them at the end of April. Within four weeks, they've been able to complete our ward areas. Fortunately, the public response to the government's measures in relation to lockdown have been amazing. And 
good news is that although the beds are absolutely ready, uh, we won't need them yet. But they're here to play an important part in our pandemic response plan if we need them and we can make them available really quickly. This was in April 2020, and by working so quickly, the project was well ahead of schedule. And of course, the benefit of advancing almost half the building meant that when we had completed that, we were able to then concentrate on finishing off the rest of the building. So the theatre accommodation is is the most complex and it has the, the, the most commissioning requirements associated with it as well, as complex commissioning. And so we worked through and continued with our construction activity and we advised the health board that we were well on programme for completing ahead of time. The original plan was to open in March 2021, but as David and Stuart both explain, progress was months ahead of this. This gave the health board a new challenge, fitting out its new facilities ahead of the original programme. It was a difficult ask with summer giving way to autumn and the prospect of a second Covid wave looming. So the team stepped in to help the health board accelerate their fit out of the major clinical equipment, such as radiology, ahead of a potential increase in critically ill COVID patients. And by doing so, we were able to complete the entire hospital with all the client fit out, fully inspected, snagged, checked, re-inspected with zero defects on the 12th of November of 2020. And they opened to the public on the 15th of November 2020. The biggest achievement is that we delivered the, the structural engineering early on the project, which ultimately meant that the hospital was ready for the COVID support and that, that they didn't need to build a Nightingale hospital. So if we hadn't done what we'd done in hindsight, it could have been a different story. The, the health board could have ended up spending millions on building a Nightingale, which then just gets taken down. In total, the project was delivered four months early, and Lango Rourke's calculated that using the DFMA approach with digital 3D modelling shaved an incredible 277,000 hours of manual work from the project. This 45% productivity improvement delivered a programme saving of 23%. Incredibly, both David and Stuart think that next time they could do it even faster. We talked about the 23% programme improvement. We think we can do better next time because we didn't do as much DFMA on this as we possibly could have. So next time we've identified a few a few more areas that we can extend the DFMA into and we think we can improve the programme over a traditionally built project to 40%. We've said that for a com comparable project, we think that we could complete it in 98 weeks from the first column for a comparable size project. The Grange took 143 weeks. Stuart suggests that some standardisation would further accelerate progress. But each health board or even each consultant sometimes have their own particular requirements. I can understand they wouldn't want that. But on the other hand, if there's some standardisation or more standardisation, it, it would help. 
For example, the rooms that the healthcare profession calls dirty utilities, where human waste is safely disposed of. These had to be carefully planned to prevent any spread of infection, but Stuart thinks that there could be two or three set designs for these, rather than each being bespoke for each hospital. David thinks that earlier involvement of the construction team would help health boards to get better value projects. The concern that I've got is that although there's lots of talk about early contractor involvement, the reality is it's not happening early enough in the current climate. The, the new hospital programme, people are developing designs independently of contractors and we need we need to be fully integrated in order to get the optimum out of these things. And this brings us to the point that David made right at the beginning of the episode. Getting the optimum in the health sector saves lives. And engineers don't get to do that very often. We knew that the project is designed, it's a hospital that's designed to save people's lives. So it's going to do that whenever we handed it over. But by achieving that four months early, we were going to save more lives. And in the pandemic, the hospital has got all the right facilities. So it's got single bed wards. It's got resilient oxygen supplies, which, you know, lots of other hospitals were struggling with the, the oxygen supplies. So not only did was it designed to save lives in a normal scenario, it was going to save a lot more lives. And obviously, as we approached the winter, opening in November, the pandemic took off again and, and, and the second wave was with us. And it instantly was saving lives from the moment it opened. And you can't ask for anything better than that as a legacy for a project which, you know, people go to work every day to do good things and, and important things. But saving people's lives is normally down to other people. We normally expect that as being somebody else's responsibility. But actually, we've been really fortunate as a project team that we've been able to save lives through managing a project well, organising things well, through the design approach and everything else. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Bernadette Ballantyne. Co-hosted by me, Alex Conacher. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own off-site efficiency boost is Rory Harris. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps and at our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. Special thanks to our episode partner, WSP, and of course to Langer Rourke and the Anirin Bevan University Health Board. <laughs>